welcome to Top of Mind, the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the biggest trends impacting the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. This is where I talk to the, the smartest leaders, thinkers, and doers in the real estate and related industries. For a couple of years now, you know, we've been sharing our latest market data video every week in, in our weekly Altos Research video series with the new Top of Mind podcast. We're looking to add more context to the discussion about what's happening in the market from, from leaders, people who are out there participating. Each week, Altos tracks every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, the supply and demand, all the changes in that data, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's going on in the housing market right now. In fact, all the markets, real estate went from being so hot and so competitive to now suddenly a dramatically changed landscape. So you know, people ask me, Mike, can I get the data for my local market to understand what's happening? The answer is yes. Go to altosresearch.com, book free consultation with our team. You can learn how to use the market data in your business, your local data. But really, without further ado, I'm super excited to have my guest today, Michael Batnick. Michael is a managing partner at Riddles Wealth Management. He is a author of a terrific investment blog, The Irrelevant Investor. He's co-host of a couple of podcasts, Animal Spirits and The Compound and Friends. You know, we've in this top of mind, we've been talking to real housing market specialists, deep dive in housing market. And Michael is more broader investment markets. And so I'm really looking forward to, which by the way, I know nothing about. I've proven over and over again that I know nothing about equities markets. Yeah, just like the rest of us. That's right. So so I'm looking forward to this conversation. We're going to talk about the economy and the direction and the markets. And so Michael, welcome. Oh, that's so great to be here. Thank you, Mike. I'm a big, big fan of your research. So I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Awesome. Let's start the, here. Why don't you tell me about your background, your work? Like, how do you, how, how do you get to be where, where you are right now, what you're doing? Well, in my case, and I think in, in the case of probably a lot of people you speak to, it's a lot of good, good fortune and good luck. And sometimes people say that, but like, you know, you can tell they're, they're just being diplomatic. In my case, it's absolutely correct because I got kicked out of the same college twice. I never cared about my education growing up. I really and truly did get lucky. And so to make a long story short, I started my career and I'll use like air quotes around that word at an insurance company in the great financial crisis, which was a wonderful time <laughs> to be getting into a business of selling things to strangers and you know, products nobody wants to buy. Um, and so I did that for about a year and a half. And the only reason why I I did it for so long. And again, I'm being very liberal with, with the use of the word did it. I, I went there to work and it was basically like a library for me sort of, or because I did the cold calling thing for like, I don't know, nine months before I became disenchanted and learned about the products that we were, you know, trying to sell and quickly realized that whole life insurance for, you know, 27 year olds probably wasn't, wasn't the, the greatest idea. And so from there I, I, I floated and I realized quickly that, oh, this is why people actually pay attention to their education. Like, I know that sounds so ridiculous, but I really and truly, 
I don't know if, if I never thought about it. That, that sounds so idiotic, but it's the truth. I didn't care. I kind of thought, I assumed that everything would be okay. I don't know if that's because my parents always took care of me or if it's just the way that I was born. I, I always thought that things would work out. And they and they very closely did it. I was very, very close to be like, you know what? I'm just going to pack it in and I guess I'll get a job at like a, a, a Verizon or Starbucks. I didn't, you know, I, and, and so I met my partner, Josh Brown, in the train station. And it was a very, it was a chance encounter that had that not happened, my life would have likely turned out very differently. Wow. You, it really? So you met Josh just like in a random place. And, and yeah, and there's, there's, there's layers to that story, but for the sake of time and not to bore anybody, like it was truly a, a very serendipitous moment that got me to where I am. That's great. Well, fast forward like 15 years and you are a very influential commentator on the markets you you write and people read and you you broadcast and and like that's a that's an, a really fascinating position to be in i think one of the reasons why i've had success to the extent that i have is because i come at this from a very every person's perspective i did not grow up on wall street my parents were not in the business I am a regular person who's trying to figure this out like the rest of us. And it's not easy. In fact, it's it's very difficult always, but particularly now we'll get into the challenges that the average investor is facing. I've I've never been more confused. And so I think that sort of maybe humility and curiosity and frustration comes through. Yeah, I think so. And and like I like reading the the blog, the irrelevant investor. I, I like the voice that you write in. It's you know, it's it's inquisitive and and it's like you're like the you know i think you know that the 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 habit or the the default position is very easy to get into is to be like well they think i'm an expert so i better write like i'm like i i know everything yeah um, i don't believe in it i don't believe in that yeah I, I don't think that anybody's crystal ball is clearer than anybody else's. And I just want to make one thing clear. Going back to me getting kicked out of state of college twice, I wasn't like a destructive child or, or adolescent. I just didn't go to class. And so <laughs> it was it was just, yeah, it was just the grades that did it in for me. So yeah, I am I I think that I think that you can be a market expert without knowing where the market is going. And I think that those sound contradictory, but they're not. I can tell you, as can a lot of market prognosticators and pundits and whatever you want to call us or people that do that, I can tell you what's happening in most sections of the market. I wouldn't dare give a prediction like that. I you know, I give my opinion, obviously, but I wouldn't dare give a prediction like sincerely of not only do I think here's what's going to happen, and I actually think you should listen to me. I would never dare do that, right? I yeah. have opinions, but I would never think, suggest that the average person or, or anybody act on anybody else's opinions, whether it's mine or Warren Buffett's, who would never give his opinion, or Druckenmiller, who would, but who wouldn't tell you when he changed his mind. I mean, I, I think that people are so desperate for, yeah, yeah, I know you don't do that, but just seriously, what stock do you like? Yeah. I mean, people really, they just want to be told what to do, no matter how many times you try and tell them that it can't be done. That's yeah. just the reality. People want to be told what to do. They, they, they people appreciate the, the, they want the shortcut. Yeah. And we'll get into some of the, you know, your predictions about the future as we go further on. And, but, you know, it's like your comment on college, like, you know, it took me, you know, five years of undergrad and a couple more years in grad school to really, you know, learn that you know, going to class is the thing that, that matters. Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, it's um, a competitive world out there. That's right. Who, who knew? 
You who knew? I tried to communicate that to my daughter. Like, just, just go to class. Just like that's the key. Like, just go to, sit in front and center. That's the key. <laughs> Everything else takes care of itself from there. Great. So, so we've got a lot to talk about. So, and the perspective I'm interested in today is broader financial markets, and you know, looking at trends. Things are going nuts. So this is now end of September. Mortgage rates are just spiking through the roof. The like the headlines today are about the dollar is, you know, everything is crashing against the dollar, which is a really bearish signal around the world. And all of a sudden, you know, the the yield curve is getting more inverted, like all of the things are happening. So, so, and but, uh, and, and then I'm interested in like, I, like, how did those things play out for housing? And, and not just home prices, but like, you know, the volume of people buying homes and like how many can buy homes or, you know, all of the things down the road. So, so maybe, maybe we can start off with like, there's a bunch of headlines right now, financial markets headlines, and a lot of them are scary. Which ones are you, are you paying attention to that are like, you know, that, that we should be thinking about in the, in the world? Yeah, probably all of them in short. I think that to say that, okay. So let's just rewind and, and a quick explainer of how we got to this Frankenstein of a situation that we find ourselves in. When the pandemic hit, I think it is probably the first time in history that everybody in the world at the same time knew that we were going into a recession. The question was how long and how, how severe. And the Fed acted quickly in concert with Congress and the Treasury. And not only did they take rates to zero, but they sent out a lot of money, which in my opinion, at the time was the appropriate course of action. You were putting the economy on life support, a self-induced coma, and nobody knew when we were going to wake up. And when we did wake up, we found ourselves dying to spend money, right? Because we had extra money and lacked experiences. And so we were ready to do that. But the problem was the world doesn't, can't, you can't just turn the economy back on like that. Right. It's just it's never been done before. And so I think we were ill prepared and equipped to turn the economy back on. So there was the combination of a demand shock with the supply shock, which is not where you want to be. Right. And so in the financial markets, there was, of course, a lot of speculation, whether it was in crypto, NFTs, stocks, housing, collectibles. I, I, literally everything, anything that you could put money into, it went up. Over a 12-month period, like 96% of stocks went up. I mean, it was impossible to lose money. And so now we are very clearly and obviously on the other side of that. Inflation has persisted longer than I, I, I thought. Again, getting back to like nobody knows anything. I certainly am not an economic interest rate inflation expert, but I, I thought that it was transitory and, and clearly very, very wrong on that front. And so higher inflation has creeped into all the areas of our life. It's, it's, it's not just things that we thought were pandemic related. It's everything, right? So we know that now. Okay. The Fed is taking inflation very, very seriously, and they are trying to destroy demand. I mean, they're literally saying it, and they are trying to do it. And so don't fight the Fed has been a mantra on the way up. If you believe that on the way up, you should probably heed some, some warning on the way down. And so there's been a lot of damage in the financial markets. The S&P 500 is down 23% year to date. Bonds are getting destroyed as interest rates go up. The price of bonds go down. The housing market is grinding to a halt. You know that better than I do. We can get into that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. The dollar is, is just a wrecking ball right now. And so there's been a lot of damage done in financial conditions. Okay. However, 
it is failing to show its head in some of the economic data. So for example, initial jobless claims, which are a decent leading indicator, are still very, very low. Unemployment is still very, very low. Retail spending, net of inflation, uh, at or near all-time highs. Corporate profits, at or near all-time highs. Corporate profit margins, at or near all-time highs. And so you say, okay, stocks have obviously done a lot of work, right? There's been a lot of destruction. All of the declines that you've seen year-to-date have been multiple compression, which is fine. That makes sense, right? When 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 the one year goes from seven basis points to 4%, yeah, people are going to want to pay less for, corp, for, for profits. I mean, that just, that intuitively makes a lot of sense. And so the market has done a lot of correcting and you'll have places like Walmart earlier in the second quarter tell you that things are in really bad shape. Spending habits have changed, no doubt. But what that really was, was, and I'm not pointing fingers, was they mismanaged their inventory, right? They were they were behind, and so then they overorder and they have a glut of inventory, and maybe it wasn't a macroeconomic story, or or it was, but it wasn't a read-through into the rest of the economy. It really was a retailer-specific story. Then you hear from other companies, Visa, who said that just looking at their data, they've never, they've never been in better shape. And so for every Walmart, there's a FedEx who, who will corroborate the fact that things are really bad or Facebook. But again, these are maybe all idiosyncratic stories. And then you have a company like Visa or Ralph Lauren or some other luxury brands who say, what recession? Things have never been better. And so it is a very, very confusing and difficult time to be an investor. Yeah. And I got triggered a bunch of thoughts along the way here. First, making some notes as we're talking, The you said about the Fed is trying to destroy demand. And they've said that they're trying to destroy demand. I'm not a Fed follower. So like, t- tell me more about that. Like, I, what's going yeah. on? So something, something happened last week where very quickly, it seemed like the world all agreed that the Fed was making a mistake. And mm-hmm. I was talking with Ben on Animal Spirits today that I think that, I don't think that Jerome Powell would say this out loud, but it's understandable, we're all human beings, that he's trying to overcorrect for a mistake that they made. Mistake number one, buying mortgage bonds in March of 2022, when housing prices were already up 20% year over year and the housing market was scorching hot. In real time, a lot of people were saying, what the hell are you doing? Like, this, what, what are you doing? And, and so they were, they were late to tighten. They were wrong on inflation. Again, so was I. However, I don't have a PhD and I it's not my job to get this right. It's their job. Okay, so they got it wrong. Okay, fine. They got that wrong. But then they started talking tough and not just speaking, but, but acting. And the pace of rate hikes that we've seen is greater than anything we've seen outside of 1980 when Paul Volcker jacked up interest rates and destroyed the economy. And so it seems as if they are overcompensating for a previous mistake. And so people are saying, hey, wait a minute, not only are you maybe going too far, which is up for debate, the data that you're looking at is not even, you're not, you're not even looking at real-time data. You're looking at year-over-year stuff that's, that has clearly peaked. And so, pe- so it's just, it's very confusing what, what they're doing at this moment in time. And I suspect, again, I'm not inside Jerome Powell's head, but I suspect that he fears, hey, listen, we're so close. We're at the five-yard line. We're doing our jobs. The market is reacting, not just the stock market, but the housing market, the consumption. It's all, it's all working. To now pause and potentially have financial conditions loosen again would undo all of the 
you know, the, the nasty medicine that we've already swallowed. I know this is painful, but inflation is serious and the risk of persistent inflation is a greater risk than dealing with a recession. I assume that's what he's thinking. Yeah. And okay. So, and I, I buy that. And by the way, have you read Nick Timoros's book, The Trillion Dollar Triage? Not all of it, but I really should. I read the first couple of chapters. It was phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And I'm having Nick on in a couple of weeks on, on the podcast. We're going to talk about the book in detail. It's really, really great. It's like day by day on, on the yeah. Fed making yeah. really remarkable decisions. So we're going to learn more about the Fed then. And and so, okay, so, right. So so I think the comment, you know, like all of a sudden, and I, I noticed this too, like about a week ago, mm -hmm. everybody knows that the Fed is wrong. Yeah. And, and, and it's using old data and, and we look at it in the, you know, inflate housing and, and rent inflation is such a big part of that about, of the CPI, the headlines, you know, inflation numbers is that like, it's like a third is, is that, and, you know, in 2020, early 2021, inflation was still looking low, even though housing and, and rents were on the way up. And now those are at best flat probably down and and yet it's probably another year before the the numbers that they're looking at are going to get that in fact they like the numbers that they're looking at are probably going to keep climbing for a big chunk and and you know some of it like says there's at least five percent more you know impact on inflation over the next couple of quarters that isn't yet baked in you know because of the the difference in in how far it's moved how far the rental numbers have moved from where the CPI already knows them. And then it starts coming down. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's scary. I'm just looking at, I, I was just looking at this earlier today, the year over year trade and change of 30 year. And this is with some lagging data. I saw that the numbers might be 7% today. I mean, it's, it's, we haven't seen anything like this again since the late seventies, early eighties, the, the one year treasury rate was, was zero, it was seven basis points a year ago. Now it's 400 basis points. So this is having all sorts of nasty reverberations. And I think from an investor's point of view, investors understand what they're signing up for with the stock market, right? Investors, everyone has lived through 2020. Well, not everyone. Most investors have lived through 2020, except for the people that came in after that. And, and a lot of investors saw 2008. Some investors saw the dot-com bubble. And so they understand that painful as it may be, the reason why you are rewarded over the long term is because you have to endure these decline volatility. I think investors by and large understand that. Doesn't mean that it's easy, but they understand that, right? They understand it. They don't understand that with bonds because they've never seen it before. And bonds have never kicked them in the face before. The worst annual return for a broad index of bonds prior to 2022, it was negative 3%, right? And so you've never seen, and that's that's nominal. You've never seen a, a, a nominal decline more than three percent. Certainly, when when stocks were going down, bonds were the ballast. That was that was it, right? People sold their stocks and they fled into the safety of Uncle Sam's treasuries. Now, not only are bonds not protecting investors on the downside in a balanced portfolio, they are one of the reasons for the, the downside volatility. And so it is a double whammy, and it has just been a very, very uncomfortable year for investors. But I would say on the bright side, what is a better environment to be investing in? 2021, when there's nothing but euphoria, and bonds are yielding nothing, and stocks are going up every day, and forward returns are lower, or an environment like this, where you can actually get 4% risk-free. You can get 
6% tax equivalent or thereabouts on municipal bonds. You actually have fixed income in your fixed income for the first time in 15 years. And so it's not fun to be to see losses in your portfolio, of course, but it is certainly better than where we were pri prior to this. That's really interesting. It brings up a thought for me. Investors, we're talking about you know, it's always the hardest point to invest in when when the things are the scariest. And, 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 but one of the things I think about in housing is that in like the, at least in the, the bubble of people that I know, there is, there's still a lot of cash on the sideline, cash to invest, cash to do housing, cash to cash that, been made over the last the bull run in in all the things and you know up until you know very recently one of my one of my the downside protection hypotheses about uh, about housing is that like you know the there's a lot of people who've been waiting on the sidelines with their cash for the market to correct and and so the question i have is do you like is that like just, you know, Mike lives in San Francisco and he's got a bunch of tech friends who happen to have money? Or is that like, it, it's my sense that that's broader than that. It's like a broader and there's, you know, the investor, there's you, a lot of cash. Are you talking through the lens of the housing market or just investing generally? Well, I'm what? talking, I'm thinking about the amount of cash that, that Americans have. And, and as a result, that one of the things that they do is they go, oh, I've been, I know people who've been waiting to buy in San Francisco for 15 years and waiting for the housing market to to finally tank right and and you know they they have and, and and so like is this their opportunity and and do those people act now and is that is but is that my, like my question is like is that truer across the, the economy like do we have a lot of cash sitting out there i Listen, you could pick a data point that shows absolutely, and I could probably show you a data point that says, no, that data point's wrong. Okay. I, I thought that with, with the 30-year way back when, when it was on the rise, I don't know if this is eight weeks ago, when it was 5%, whenever it was, I thought that the floor on housing prices was relatively elevated because there were still so many more people that wanted to buy than wanted to sell. There are... I forget what the number is. Is there 70 million millennials that are around my age in prime, you know, home buying age? But with with seven interest rates where we are today on September 27th, the math doesn't work anymore. And so I think the floor is a lot lower. And unfortunately, and I'm, you know, this is not my area of expertise, it's yours. I think that the housing market is going to freeze up because the bid ask between where sellers are anchored to, oh, I could have sold it. At you know they're anchored to 2021 prices, and not that buyers are anchored to anything. They're anchored to their monthly payment, and they're down. You know, so in 2021, people were complaining about housing being unaffordable because the down payments were unaffordable, which sucked. Now you can't afford the down payment or the monthly payment, yeah. and so I suspect that house the transaction volume is going to absolutely plummet, and I think that I don't see any other way for people to buy homes with a seven percent mortgage aside from prices coming way in. Am I crazy? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, and I think we can see it like week to week already, you know, in the data I've been talking about it, like in the last couple of weeks, we watched inventory climb, you know, and it really seems extremely coincident with the the recent, most recent spike in mortgage rates. Like we were under, you know, we were in the fives just a few weeks ago, 
And we went, you know, to six and a half to seven in a couple of weeks. And it, it sure looks to me like we can see buyers like freezing solid in that time. We can watch price reductions kick up. We had we had price reductions that hit like a, a plateau in August. And then all of a sudden, doop, last couple of weeks, we see it accelerating again. And and it's like coincident with the latest spike in rates. And man, 7% was way beyond what I would have expected mortgage rates to land at. I I, I have no ability to predict where mortgage rates are going to go. So 7% is is way outside of that range. And so that like I haven't even begun to think about forecast implications. If it stays at seven, what if it goes to eight? Like and, and why would I don't know why it would. Yeah. So yeah. So so the question is like people when does the Fed blink? Right. And I I I you know we don't know. They don't know. We don't know. It's but but what people do know because this is just straight up arithmetic, they know what their monthly mortgage rate is going to be if they take out a 7% mortgage. And, you know, maybe at five and a half, you could make it work and say you'll refinance the next, you know, when you get an opportunity to. At 7%, you can't hope, right? It's right. just, it, it just, uh, the numbers don't work. The home prices are too high, mortgage mortgage rates are too high. It doesn't work. And I don't know what percentage of the economy GDP is. I think I heard something like 18%, maybe something along those lines. But psychologically, how important is it, right? The multiplier effect. And so, so goes the housing market, so goes the consumer. I don't know if you could draw a line that direct, but it's it's massive. It's it's yeah. it's it. This is it. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Do you have any view about what happens to rates from here? Oh, definitely not. I, 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 I remember talking to somebody around six months ago, and we were saying, at what level would you start to get nervous about the housing market? And I think he said 6%. And I probably was thinking in the back of my head, this guy's smoking dust. How do rates get to 6%? And, yeah. now, we're at se- and now we're at seven. I did. I was doing this, this podcast interview with Connor Sen from Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. I think we did it in January. And we, you know, you could see it on the horizon. Rates are going to climb. And Connor was like, four and a half. Yeah. And we're and like, look at four and a half. And I was like, okay, that's going to be a big change. We go from three to four and a half, but I could see how the market stays at four and a half. And then you're like, seven is like, wow. And so just if seven's, if seven's, you know, possible, then is eight, like, you know, and what, and what happens now? Really so fast. yeah, so it's 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 really unfortunate for new home buyers and existing home buyers. You're not you're not selling a three percent mortgage for a seven, right? right? You can't you can't afford to. You're not going to do yeah, that's right. So so again, not not being a housing expert, I just think it stands to reason common sense would suggest that transactions are going to absolutely fall off a cliff. And then that has that has impacts. How many people does a housing market employ from materials to home builders to loan officers to people inside the bank? Like there's a whole giant economy there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wild. And and you know, and and like and the there's a you know couple of maybe green shoots in there that are that are you know interesting where like, please i'm dying for green shoots i'd yeah. love to hear them please well, like you were saying that you know the like everybody's employed right you you call jobless the new jobless claims as a leading i've seen like i think about employment i guess as sort of a lagging indicator yes yes and and like you know and and so does that mean you know the employment now is at is at record high levels and 
an impact, you know, six months lagging from, you know, or eight months lagging. Mike, I have no idea. Honestly, things are very, things are very confused. So I'll give you, okay. Going into this year, my partner, Josh, and I were talking a lot about if this, if we do go into a recession, this will be the most widely telegraphed recession of all time. I think uh, 2020 was not, that was not telegraphed. That was everyone knew at the same exact time that we were, but the average person, you know, will probably tell you that we're heading into a recession, but we're just not, you're just not seeing stress in credit markets, for example, which are another, what would be a leading indicator. And I think one of the reasons that we, we spoke about is that the consumer has never been better positioned for a recession if we do go into one, given how much their balance sheets were healed in 2020, a lot of people paying off some of their debt. And same thing with the corporation. Corporations gorged on cheap debt in 2021, as they should have. So they took advantage of easy money and they're well capitalized. So the consumer flush with cash, corporate balance sheets are healthy. If we do go into recession, never been better prepared to withstand one. And so I think that might be partially explaining one of the reasons why we haven't really seen the data turn yet. Now, the question is like, you're also, but you're also seeing credit card spending at all time highs. And so are people relying on their credit card to fill the gap? Maybe. And so there are just so many different stories that would seem entirely contradictory. Well, this can't be happening while this is happening, and that can't be happening while this is happening. Things that have never happened before are happening every day. And so if you, if you honestly convince yourself that you have any ability to predict the future, you really need your head examined. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I think those, the consumer and the corporate you know, balance sheet is sort of, that's like the, my observation about people having cash, right? They, they are reasonably well positioned and homeowners are, you know, in a strong, but the people who already own are in super strong position, right? They, they are locked in at 3% rates and, and they have, you know, a ton of equity, even if, even if you give up, you know, half of the, 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 the pandemic boom, even if you give that up, you know, we are still, you still have a ton of equity in the house. And so like all of those things add up to a, to, to like, like are, are those that they put a floor on, on the, you know, correction things. They haven't put in a floor on, you know, on stock market correction or, you know, crypto market corrections, but do they put a floor on housing? Hey, Mike, I'm so sorry. My headphones just died. That's okay. Oh, uh, now I hear you. I'm sorry. So what You're was good? Actually, okay. Actually, hang on. Don't, sorry, sorry, Mike. Sorry, I'm just, I can plug it back into your second ear. Okay. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Good? We in? I'm good. Okay, great. No problem. So yeah, so and I'm just you know thinking about the the that consumer strength and the and the the corporate strength and I see it around like and and I also see you you mentioned the sort of bifurcated market where we have you have we have some you know companies that are like feeling it hard and some that are not and and I see that in Silicon Valley like I see see tech some tech companies lay, laying people off and others still hiring as fast as they can. It's really remarkable. And I wonder who has the clearer vision. I'll tell you in six months. Let me come yeah. have, have me back out. I'll, I'll tell you. Great. So, so let's shift gears then. So you work with individual clients on managing money. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And how do you think about real estate in, in an overall portfolio these days? 
So I'll caveat this with, I am not a financial planner. We have, I think, 26 financial advisors that are working full-time with clients on a daily basis. And so I actually, you know what? How about if I punt on that question? I don't even want to speak for how the the advisors will think about that in the sense of, because there we we obviously do have some clients that are real estate people, right? Yeah. That have a large percentage of their net worth in real estate because that's what they do for a living. And then we have people with a fully paid off, you know, $2 million house that is a big part of their net worth. And so yeah. I think that a lot of people spent 2021 rightfully either refinancing or taking money out of their house because there were other opportunities to do better with your money. With your cash. Yeah. Do you, how do you think about it in your personal portfolio? So I have, so I refinanced twice last year, last year I refinanced from, I think four, eight to, to, Oh, you know what I did? I know what I did. I think I went from four, eight in my original mortgage. I was, I was 30 years to three years to, I'm sorry, to, to 15 years at 3%. 15 and then I said, you know what? On second thought, I think I am going to be in a fortunate enough position to where I don't need my primary residence to be such a large percentage of my retirement, right? I think for, for a lot of, for a lot of this country, your primary residence ends up becoming your biggest asset. And I love the forced savings mechanism of building equity over time. And I love that it just compounds, right? But for me, I, I, and obviously subject to change, I had this idea, hey, wait a minute. I don't know that I really need to pay off my primary residence. And this was, the, this was with the assumption that interest rates would stay low for a long time, which I was a thousand percent wrong on. And so I just thought, hey, you know what? Every five to 10 years, I'll do a cash out refi. And so I went from 30 to 15, back to 30. Back to 30. So I'm still paying I'm still paying it as if it's a 15-year mortgage. I just gave myself some more flexibility. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I um when I did a refi, you know, I I had been I'd been, you know, prepaying like paying on a 15-year schedule and then I went to refi to I got to like 2.8 or something and I uh in retrospect, I, I I was like, well, this is money is so cheap. I shouldn't be prepaying it. Like I should be using that cash elsewhere. Like this is the cheapest money ever. And in retrospect, I should have done a cash out refi and take it. But I, but like, I'm, I'm a super conservative, you know, with my money. And I'm like, no, I just want to keep my, my mortgage really low. And like my mortgage payment now is less expensive than my two bedroom apartment rent was in San Francisco 24 years ago. You know, my, wow. and my mortgage payment is less now, you know, on a, a two point whatever percent. And so it is. I mean, this is a, it, housing is very personal. There's no right answers. I think people do it. People have different risk tolerances for me right now. I'm 37 years old. Talk to me when I'm 45 and I might, I might say, you know what, actually I've only got another X number of years in the workforce. Maybe I better go ahead and get this mortgage paid off. Get this but thing right, off. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah, now that's, sure. that's not on my radar. So we'll see. That's good. So so then let's talk about let's talk about the future. What do we like how what's do you have a framework for thinking about, you know, we 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 have like a bunch of risks on the head on the, you know, the horizon that everybody knows about. And but how do we look beyond that? 
Do you have a framework for thinking beyond next year? You know, there was a study, I can't remember, I think it might've been the University of Michigan. And it had something to do with financial behavior and the way to get people to consider their future selves was they showed people digitally aged version of themselves. And were basically told, think about yourself. This is yourself in the future is actually you. Don't shortchange yourself. And so I think that in a period of heightened volatility and economic uncertainty, will you regret putting money to work on a systematic basis over the next couple of years? Like put fast forward 10 years and, and there's no like trick to doing that. It's just think about all of the horrible things that the world has seen. And I think you just have to have this underlying belief that things get better perpetually, even though the world is a really scary place and bad shit happens on a daily basis. I, I have a fundamental belief, especially in this country, that people are motivated, that they want to provide for their families, that they are inspired by work, by a better future. And so we just march forward. And of course, there are temporary setbacks. Some setbacks last longer than others. But I have an unwavering belief that the future will look brighter than, than, than the present. Interesting. I like that. I, and and it's, it's important to refresh that, that message, right? We, we, like it's, it's so easy for me to get distracted by all of the crazy things going on. Yeah, and I think, I think it's important to be able to hold two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time that stocks are in a downtrend. And when stocks are going down, they, you know, they, they continue to go down, of course, until they stop going down. And so it's okay to feel either nervous or even, dare I say, like bearish. Say to yourself, I have no ability to, I have no ability to pick the bottom. I am not interested in picking the bottom. I think that going to cash is, is poison. I think that if you go to cash, like either two things happen, you're proven right, right? And stocks do go low and you feel like a genius and you say to yourself, well, I'm not going to get it now. I'll just, I'll wait a little bit more. And then of course you never get back in or, or more likely you sell and, you know, eventually stocks go, go higher and you feel like, you know, you missed it the market's rigged, whatever. If you sell at 10, you're not buying back in at 11 or 12, right? And, and then you get this, oh, I hope stocks get lower, go lower. So, and you get, just have this pervasive negativity. What, what I think investors need to do is figure out, and unfortunately the time to do this is not now. It was, you know, when, when the time to prepare for a storm is not during the storm, right? It's before, but really the key is to figure out your risk tolerance. And if you, if you overestimate your risk tolerance, it's not the end of the world. Right. If you say, okay, I thought I could handle the portfolio of 80% stocks, but I, I'm really having trouble sleeping. I can't do it. Okay, fine. No big deal. Nobody knows where their personal line is, unfortunately, until they cross it. And so if you have to downshift from 80% of your portfolio to stocks to 50, whatever, whatever the case may be, fine. But you can't you can't swing from all in to all out to bullish to bearish. Now I'm now I'm now I'm scared. Now I'm greedy. You fall. I mean, you have to control your behavior. You really have to control your behavior. All right, I'll work on that. <laughs> Listen, I, same. I'm I'm more human than, than anybody else. I, I feel it. Yeah, that's that's. So we have the fundamental optimism for the future. We have it can be. I like the concept of that. You know, going to cash is poison. It's it's likely that you're going to cash at the wrong moment anyway, and it's and it's then also much more likely that you you go back in at the wrong time. You... And I think we, we've we, we've seen this a million times where when stocks do bottom, 
the news isn't getting better, right? right? Stocks will start to go up as the news either gets less bad than expected, but things are black yeah. when the market bottoms. And they go up in spite of the news and it won't make any sense. And people will tweet about headlines and the stock market. And But the stock market is, is, a, is a forward looking. The stock market has this uncanny ability. Not always, obviously it doesn't get it right. But we, we are the market. Investors are the market. And we have a really amazing ability to price and risk and to see past things. And one individual just will not be able to emotionally do that. Yeah. Things will get worse before the stock market. The stock market will bottom as things continue to worsen. And it drives you nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. The my favorite moments with uh, with Altos and the Altos data over the years are the moments when we have been the data has been contrarian and bullish. So the you know the headlines are the worst, and the you know it's like we were watching in like January of 2011. Mm -hmm. The the housing market the signals are up, and the the headlines are still from 2010 data from 2010. And in 2010, the, the, there was a first-time homebuyer tax credit in 2009. It pulled demand, end, ended April of 2010. It pulled demand forward. So by the end of 2010, it, everything was looking really scary again and for, for housing. And so, and that market, and that, that data was then in the headlines in January and February, March of 2011. But meanwhile, the actual real-time data was, was turning. And, and, you know, we could sit there and go, I don't know, guys, like people are buying houses this spring, even though, you know, even though the headlines. And so those are the, the moments are really rare. We had it again at the beginning of, of the pandemic, because we had, you know, we had three weeks of housing market downturn. And, and then, you know, by week four, I'm like, hey guys, I'm like <laughs> something's going on here. And so, you know, but then you still had a couple of months where a lot of traditional players were still, you know, because there's a big recession, they were still forecasting down, down housing well into 2021, you know, because as a function of, you know, macro recession stuff, meanwhile, housing was like rocketing already in May of 2020, really like that. So those are the fun times. So I can't say yet that the Altos data is, is bullish or contrary. Right? <laughs> like we're not there yet, but those are my funnest, my, the, my favorite moments. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to convince people that they can't see the future, even though they would obviously never claim to. But their actions sometimes would dictate otherwise. So who do you think will end up doing better over the long run? The person that can put themselves in the proper asset allocation between stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, whatever, and endure, right, the ups and downs, or the person who thinks that they can call tops and bottoms? I mean, it's a, it's like it's kind of a joke, right? But some but people people behave that way. And so I don't think you need to be a genius to have good long-term returns. I think you need to be patient. You need to have an iron stomach and an unwavering belief that even though things will will get bad from time to time, eventually they'll get better. And that's just, listen, the, the S&P 500 companies have raised their dividends on average, compounded, I'm sorry, compounded since 1988, 6% a year. Corporate earnings since 1988 have compounded at 6 7% a year. In the stock market, we're not investing in you know, numbers on a screen. We're actually buying incredible businesses that grow over time. And that growth is ultimately 
reflecting the share price. So it's not to say that stocks can't go lower. Of course, we might be going through a recession. We might be going through a deep recession. I don't think so, but we might be. Who knows? But you have to be able to survive. That's the name of the game. You have to be able to survive. Yeah. What is it, uh, what is it about that, that makes you think it's not going to be a super deep recession? I think that given how strong earnings have been, profit margins have been, employment has been, I think that if things were going to fall apart, they would have, it would have showed itself already. Now, maybe, listen, maybe we get Q3 earnings and we're in for a rude awakening. I'm open-minded to the fact that that's going to happen. I just think that everybody's waiting for the data to, to forget about worsen, for it to fall apart. And I just think it's been, listen, when did it start taking up? It's been, it's been over a year already, you know? And we, maybe we have an earnings recession, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be a severe and deep one unless unless the Fed makes a policy mistake like tightening too much into a contracting economy, which is the big worry. And that's why the NASDAQ is down 30%. And that's why the SP is down 23%. People are worried about a policy mistake. That's why the curve is as inverted as it's been since 1980. People are worried that the Fed is making a mistake, and I get it. Yeah, and yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I can't wait. I, 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 I'm kind of always, I can't wait for the next 12 months, but I, I mean at this time, I really can't wait to see what where we're at a year from now. Yeah, really going to be fascinating. That's terrific. So I really appreciate your your take on on how to look, how we look at the economy and the factors coming in. It's like I said, you know, we spend so much time talking about just housing, but like it's a it's a big ecosystem. They're all interrelated. So I appreciate the the interaction here. Did we was there anything we missed that we should have covered yet today? No, Mike, this is my pleasure. I appreciate the research that you put out. Like I said, I'm a fan. So thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. So so Michael Batnick, irrelevant investor. Animal spirits. What are your thoughts? The compound and friends, but I'm I'm not hard to find. Yeah, really. And 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 I love the Animal Spirits podcast too. So I really appreciate your time and your views. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. See you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.